Hi, this is DebtWire Managing Editor Andrew Ragsley. Welcome to the latest edition of our DebtWired podcast. On this episode, we are digging into a number of hot-button issues across the healthcare space. We're speaking with Paul Rundell of Alvarez & Marsal. Paul is Managing Director with Alvarez & Marsal's North American Commercial Restructuring Practice based out of Chicago. On the podcast, our deputy editor, Reshmi Basu, and Paul highlight red flags across the healthcare space, such as reimbursement risk and labor issues, which segments within the industry could face the most pressure, why healthcare companies tend to pivot to out-of-court versus in-court restructurings, and how lenders' approach to the industry could turn more aggressive in 2022. Paul, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. How has the pandemic impacted the healthcare industry? What challenges does the industry face, especially in the wake of new variants? The healthcare industry really faces several um, difficult factors. Probably the most challenging is the workforce. In healthcare, unlike a lot of other industries, There are federal mandates for vaccinations, especially in post-acute. What that has done is that has decreased the labor pool where there already was a shortage. It has increased the cost of the labor pool with PPE. And with the decreased labor pool, it's also driven up the average wages, which is making a tight margin industry even tighter. A couple other factors that has hurt healthcare is depending on which segment you are in healthcare, a lot of procedures in the acute space, the hospital space, have were pushed off early in COVID. Not all sectors have recovered. And when you get to the post-acute space, they have uh, significantly been impacted by uh, whether it's a CCRC, a continuing care retirement community a skilled nursing facility. A lot of the elderly have chosen to try to get care in a different way because of COVID and how it's spread in these facilities. So the top line and the revenue, um, we call it census, has significantly decreased since the beginning of COVID. And there is a correlation. It started coming back before Delta, when Delta hit it plateaued, it started going down a little bit, and now we're facing a third wave. So I will say that healthcare, both on top line and on cost, has faced significant challenges. Which sectors within healthcare then face the most stress points? How has the labor shortage or vaccine mandates impacted certain segments? For, for me, for what I'm seeing, the post-acute sectors have been impacted uh, the most. There are some sectors like long, you know, long-term care, acute hospitals that actually have done better because they have a lot of vents and they're really set up to deal with the patients that do have COVID that are severe. That segment actually has done surprisingly well. The flip side from that is the skilled nursing industry, the continuing care retirement communities, the assisted facilities, most of their census have 
census being the residents that move into their facilities, most of their residents or a significant portion of the population has really shifted a mindset from moving into facilities to looking at alternative ways to get care. Because of that, census has really gone down from the beginning of COVID and impacted uh, the profitability and the revenue in the skilled nursing facility and the rehab facility continuing, you know, everything post acute that I can see with the exception of long-term care has been negatively impacted by COVID. So how do you describe the pace of chapter 11 filings over the last five years in the healthcare space? For me, it's very interesting. I, I recently looked up because I was curious you, everyone hears so much about healthcare and everyone wants to be in healthcare in the restructuring space because it's the biggest industry in, in the country. It's so much of our, our GDP. It's under significant strain and it's, it's a real focus in most consulting firms. And in the restructuring consulting firms, everyone looks at it because when a healthcare company is under distress, sometimes it hits the national media because it's near and dear to our hearts because healthcare tends to be one of the largest employers in every town and it's also a local business. Over the last five years, I was really surprised when you look at the data and you look at liabilities over 500 million, only nine companies over the last five years have filed. Of those nine, three are pharma slash opioid related issues, which are really unique to what's going on right now. So that really means six, uh, what I'll call typical healthcare large case filings over the last five years, which is way less than if you, if you polled people that work predominantly on healthcare, they would probably guess a number that would be significantly larger than than six. The reason for this is really healthcare tends to be one very much middle market. So there are a lot of middle market filings, but more importantly, healthcare tends to restructure out of court. I also look back over the last five years on my cases and what I've worked on over eighty percent of the engagements I worked on were restructured properly out of court versus in court, which is way higher, I believe, than if you looked at other segments and in other industries, the need and the necessity for filing is much greater, I believe, in other industries. Healthcare tends to be very much a middle market out of court segment. So then why do healthcare companies prefer an out of court solution versus in court? It's, a, it's an interesting question, and it's uh, – I don't believe healthcare companies necessarily – I think all industries and all companies, for over 20 years, there's not a client I had that didn't want to do a restructuring out of court. They all want to. Sometimes that's possible, and sometimes just not. The, the debt structure, whether it's publicly traded debt or, or public equity or both – whether there's large litigation issues, those tend to be the largest drivers of why a company, not that it chooses to go in court, 
its ability to do it out of court, it's much more challenged and it's much more, it's, it's more difficult. The less lenders that you have, the easier, the simpler your capital structure, the earlier an advisor is typically brought in, the higher chance of getting it done out of court is. With respect to healthcare, I believe healthcare cases tend to be done out of court more because one, the their debt structure tends to be private, not public, with the exception of CCRCs, which tend to have publicly traded bonds, which that is one reason why you see some of those filings over the last five years, because the ability to restructure any public debt out of court is is challenging, to be candid. Excluding that segment, a lot of other health, most healthcare tends to have private debt, tends to have their debt is not held. It's not syndicated with 20, 30, 40 lenders. It's it's one to five lenders, what I typically see. And or they have leases instead of debt. Once again, you have a limited number of people you're negotiating with. The less people you're negotiating with, sometimes the easier it is to get an out of court. If you have to negotiate with a hundred different lessors and lenders, your ability to get consensus across the capital structure is very challenging. So do you expect to see a pickup in restructuring activity in 2022 and why? It's an excellent question because that's what everyone's asking. We did see a quick pickup in the fall, but not the pickup that I'm expecting. I, I have seen from talking to our clients, a lot of the CARES funds are depleted or almost depleted. And those CARES funds were critical getting these providers through the challenging time over the last 18 months or 20 months. With the funds, there's a fourth fund that just rolled out, being sent out, but it's much smaller. Their ability to continue under the current financial, where their census is at, where their debt structure is at, their ability to continue the runway is getting limited. When we start to see it in 22, you know, a lot of people are, when you go around and you talk to the people in the industry, I've heard anywhere between third quarter, fourth quarter. I think there will be a, a small, another small pickup after the new year. In my experience, from November to January, a lot of lenders and providers wait to start the process until after the new year. But I believe there will be a little small pickup after the new year. And I, and I do think sometime in the third quarter, I would expect, especially with the interest rates going up, I would expect you will see an increase in workouts, whether or not those lead to in court. Again, a lot of these restructurings are done out of court. So how are lenders approaching the industry You know, with healthcare companies having to pay back government loans, as you mentioned? Could this impact liquidity in 2022? Absolutely. From my conversations with the lenders, it's been a, a difficult environment over the last 20 months because they're, they're advancing money to providers, companies, but it's very different. These are not retail. These are not hotels. These, th- 
they're frontline defenders against the largest pandemic that any of us have ever faced. Their desire to accelerate or get aggressive with their clients is much less for a couple of factors. First of all, nobody wants to be on the front page headlines as shutting down a first line defender. Second of all, a lot of lenders, especially banks that are regulated, they don't want to be the economic owner of a healthcare company that has substantial amount of liability for either could be for medical malpractice or other patients, no matter, depending on what sector of the healthcare industry they're in. A lot of times banks and lenders, one of the spaces that they just don't enjoy looking at alternative options, including owning the companies is healthcare because of that liability, because of that risk. And the national headlines associated with that is also a daunting task. That's really what we have seen up until now, why a lot of lenders have not gotten aggressive. The challenge obviously is you can only go so long either getting no debt service or interest only before you do have to look at alternative options. These lenders, you know, they do need to get paid back. And they also have to, they have stakeholders they have to report to. So there will be a point where patient is going to be tested. And I believe we're getting to that point. And they're going to have to commence the typical restructuring process. And that might include looking at the economic owners of these businesses or finding other operators, other management teams, whatever they need to do to get the companies to perform better so that they can get paid back. So in 2022, then do you expect lenders to be kind of more aggressive given the bottom line pressure and growing leverage of these companies? I do. And I'm not, I'm not going to insinuate that they're, when we talk about aggressive, you have to put that in perspective of what they've done. I, most lenders that I have seen have been amazingly tolerant and, and passive and calm over the last 20 months where they didn't exercise any remedies. They went pretty much no confidence. They, in some cases I've seen, they haven't even been paid debt service, not even interest. And they sat back because they did not want to rock the boat because of all the reasons I stated, whether it's they didn't want to be the economic owner and on the front headlines of, of disrupting care, or they didn't want the risk and the liability of owning a healthcare company. Whatever the reason is, the lenders have that I have seen has have been more patient than I've ever seen, and I I expect that to change. Not so much that they're going to get aggressive in twenty two, but at some point they have to move forward and collect their loans and get these operators and these providers performing better. And what do you consider as red flags for the industry? For me, the red flags. Because it is healthcare, reimbursement rates are one of the greatest drivers. When we speak to private equity that are looking into getting into sectors or lenders, the reimbursement rates that the government have, whether it's CMS or you know whether it's Medicare or Medicaid, it, it, whether it's regulated by the states or the feds, 
that really drives and can make a sub subsegment industry uh, attractive or not. Uh, an example is right now, skill nursing in, in is is really getting hammered pretty hard. The rates are just not where they used to be. And there's a couple of other segments. Rehab's another one where the reimbursement environment's got to change. The country needs these providers to provide care. And the challenge is when 70% of your costs are the people that are providing the care and the cost is going up and your reimbursement rates are going down, that only leads to one solution. Typically over the decades, the reimbursement rates go up and down and this and these subsegments fall out of flavor and then they come back. And so we we typically see these cycles usually by subsegments, but that that is the one the first place we start is one, how are the reimbursement rates? What states do you want to operate in? Two, how are the employees? What's your ability to get people to provide the care to make the revenue? Because if you can't get that, it it you can't really drive profitability and, and revenue growth. So as an advisor, how are you looking at multiples or normalized EBITDA for the life cycle of a company given these unprecedented times? That's a challenging question, especially in this environment. Because in healthcare, the reimbursements change. So an example is sometimes you have to go back before COVID, which would make sense in all industries. Go to the time period before to understand what the current run rate is. And that's what you potentially could expect to see again. A challenge with that is in some instances, the reimbursement rates have fundamentally changed. So an example in in rehab space, PDPM changed. And so going backwards and looking at what it used to look like is irrelevant. So that makes it really challenging when the reimbursements dramatically change. COVID has turned a lot of these sub-industries on its head understanding what they can get to in a post-COVID environment uh, is one of the greatest challenges that we have. And typically what we do is we start with what is the run rate of the business right now, looking at the current EBITDA. Then what we do is we try to look at it, what the business the volumes were prior to COVID. And then we typically build a pro forma out to show the economic stakeholders with just with COVID going away, what should the business get back to? What type of EBITDA would you expect on a pro forma basis? And without, without growth, without any other factors, that's typically what we try to build the, you know, the balance sheet around and get some type of consensus of that's that's the new norm, that's the new business EBITDA performer that we can expect. Why do so many healthcare companies fall within the mid-market space? Healthcare has, and probably always will be, it's a local business. The largest employers in most towns are healthcare providers. The 
when somebody gets sick, unless they want to see a specialist, they tend to go to their local hospital. If they are elderly and they need care, they tend to go to a, a close uh, skilled nursing facility, assisted living facility. When they look to when somebody wants to put their loved one, it could be their mom or dad, into a continuing care retirement community. Oftentimes, it's close to the loved ones so that they can continue to go see them. Healthcare is a very intimate industry, more so than almost any other industry out there where the, the ability to go national, to build out a national platform is very challenging because each hospital provider, each skilled nursing facility and each market is very different. And, and how the residents or the patients come to your facility are from a demographic standpoint and or uh, from a, from even from a macro standpoint of how they look at each facility is, is fundamentally different. So it's very hard to have a national provider. Most national providers actually tend to go local on operations because healthcare has always been a local game, including, like I said, 70% of your costs are in the employees uh, and finding good employees in each market, each market is really different and how they look at it. it. It's definitely a challenge. You know, when you look at all the other industries, it's amazing how they're able to make national platforms and scale and leverage with healthcare. It's difficult from everything from implants that they buy. Each doctor might have their own opinion to the type of furniture in a skilled nursing facility has to fit the, the where the location is in, in the market that they're in. It's a, I, I believe it always will be a local game. I, I, I think people like the idea of getting care and they need the ability to get care quickly. And how does mental health fit into the landscape for health companies? Men, mental health is, and it's not new. It's something this country's been challenged with for as long as I know of. But during COVID, it's definitely become even more challenging. You can't open the newspaper or go online just on a weekly basis without seeing the impacts of what COVID has done to this country. And I'm not talking about from a, a spreading or a death, from a mental health standpoint. The ability for kids to go to school and learn, the ability for elderly to go to a facility and get economic care, the ability for someone to get a procedure without the fear of, of getting COVID and, and or getting more sick has led a lot of Americans to stay in their home, limited contact, uh, the, and the, and the, and the impacts and from a social standpoint, has really driven the, the addiction space, whether it's alcohol or drugs, has really hurt, I believe, the kids from a, from a mental health standpoint and a lot of adults. It's very difficult to go to, now that we're opening up a little bit, although it looks like we're pulling back again. And you see people, you see how much, in a lot of ways, a lot of people are, are social animals. They like the ability to interact, not through a computer screen, 
but face to face. And mental health is a challenge that this country has has struggled with. It's typically underfunded. And I believe it's gotten dramatically worse in the last 20 months. Paul, thank you so much for being here with us. This is great insight into the healthcare industry. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can download and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Wistia platform.